Hi, this is Allison Kearns, and you're listening to Call to Connect. This podcast is a platform for everyday people and their stories, a bridge to connect each other and to just share life. All of us working together brings out the best in one another. Hi, friends. Thank you for joining me today, and thank you for um, just coming back and spending time with me um, for each guest. Today's guest is my friend, Kelly Bartholomew. And funny enough, little um, insider knowledge, this is our third time recording this interview. So we really feel confident that there is gold um, that needs to be shared. And we're excited to share it with you. So without any further ado, let's welcome to the show, Kelly. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Third time is the charm. And I feel like this is just going to be the best of the three conversations that we've had and the message that folks need to hear the people that listen to this are going to get exactly what they need to encourage them that's my belief today so thank you so much for having me and for your perseverance and persistence through all technology issues to make sure that we get this done yay thank you i'm so happy to do it and i'm excited to hear your story and to share it with our friends so why don't we do um, let you introduce yourself and um, just start sharing your story? Yeah. So as you said, my name is Kelly Bartholomew, and uh, I'm so passionate about sharing my story because it was someone having the courage to share their story that uh, helped me to get unstuck from a really heavy season and dark place in my life. And so that's why I'm compelled to share my story and why I love what you're doing and um, other folks who facilitate story sharing because there's so, there's so much power in our stories. There's so much healing. There's so much breakthrough available for people um, to, to glean off other people's stories. So uh, a little bit about me and, and how that hearing someone else's story saved me in a very dark um, season in my life. A couple of years ago in 2017, actually early 2017, my um, mom took her own life um, by overdosing on prescription pain pills. That was kind of a culmination of a very long drawn out season between her and my dad. My dad actually uh, is an addict and had a long history of pain pills and alcoholism and just trauma and turmoil and health problems. And my mom was his main caretaker and uh, they just had a lot of toxicity and drama in their relationship. And um, we actually, as a family, had kind of all prepared for my dad um, to pass away because his health um, was so touch and go. He was kind of in and out of the hospital between mental health and physical health problems. So we all were somewhat prepared, as prepared as you can be anyways, for somebody to pass away. So it came as a complete shock um, to all of us the morning of February 1st, 2017, when my dad called me and let me know that he found my mom um, passed away next to a bottle of pain pills. Um, I can't really describe the shock um, that went through my system. I just remember yelling no repeatedly and um, telling him I was on my way over. And then the police actually called me back and said I couldn't come over right away because they were still there dealing with the scene and that mm-hmm. someone would call me when, um, when I was able to come over. And I sat in my closet and just was, couldn't even move. I tried putting uh, 
clothes on and boots on and I couldn't I couldn't get the boots to go on my my feet I couldn't you know formulate thoughts or words or whatever and until finally the police did call and say I could come over and I remember that drive which what should have been a 15 minute drive over to my parents house took me 45 minutes because I just kept turning down the wrong streets probably I shouldn't have been driving honestly yeah um but I made the way over to my parents' house and, um, you know, it's just a, a sight and a scene that you can't ever imagine you'll have to see. You know, I remember uh, walking into their house and walking into the room uh, where they had found her and there was still blood and urine on the sheets. You know, the bed was still a mess and the room was still in the same condition. And so uh, that that began a season of kind of perpetuated shock. Um, your mind grapples for answers. You, you, our reasoning mind and the way God designed us is we're very, you know, we have intelligent logical gift of logic and reason, right? And, and that's how we know that up is down. And we, we have all these rules that we live our life by and these conditions that we assume are safe and reliable. And when something like this happens, everything just kind of goes out the window and up is down and down is up. And for me, um, there were just a lot more questions than there were answers. There honestly still are a lot of questions around surrounding her death, but, um, grief just sort of had its way with me. I struggled for several months. I had a very hard time. I, I ended up leaving my job and taking on a different job with less responsibility because I was in a leadership role at the time. And, um, we just was really struggling to get by day to day, you know, uh, I remember so distinctly feeling like I thought at one point my bed was going to swallow me whole. Feeling of heaviness, laying in bed at night, and nights were the worst, just left alone with your thoughts. And um, that's one of the things that was just really surprising to me was the physical effect of it, the physicality of grief, how much you literally feel in your body what you're going through emotionally. Um, that's something that's hard to describe and and impossible to predict. You know, uh, you don't really know until you're in it, kind of the full weight and effects of all of that. So, all of that to say, I struggled um, for several months, and it wasn't until I went to a leadership event and heard a speaker that it really changed my life and kind of turned around my thinking around the whole thing. Because the other thing that specifically traumatic grief does is it tends to isolate you. The people around you are so just shocked as well and um, kind of scared of what you're going through. And so they don't know what to say and they don't want to hurt your feelings. And so people tend to leave you at an arm's length because they don't want to do or say the wrong thing, but it ends up being very isolating. And that just kind of compounds the hurt. You know, you've had this awful thing happen and now you're left alone to deal with it. And I just remember for me feeling like nobody understood and, you know, that nobody could help me and nobody understood. And I just felt like I was left alone to just figure this out. And I had very little, if any, hope that I was ever going to get over it or be happy again. And um, that's when I went to that leadership conference and I heard a woman speak who had survived the Rwandan genocide. And she shared with so much um, grace and candor, her surviving 90 days uh, hid away in a bathroom with eight other women 
and literally hearing everyone they know being slaughtered and massacred over the radio. She shared the, like the gory, horrific details of thinking she was going to die every single day. And then equally as hard when she survived the ordeal, realizing literally her entire family and most everyone she knew didn't survive and how to come to terms with that, how to heal from that. And she was speaking healed and whole. She was there sharing her story and shared about how God walked her through this healing process and a process of forgiveness to the point that she even went and found the the man who killed her family. She found him in prison and forgave him. Wow. Yeah, it was just, it was so powerful for me. That was such a defining moment of my life because Two things. I knew that if God would do that for her, he could do it for me. Amen. I knew yeah. that God was not a respecter of persons. So if mm-hmm. he would do that for her, I knew he could do that for me. And she was there living, showing me an mm-hmm. example. She had peace. She had joy. You know, she lives mm-hmm. in New York, she has two children. She has a full life. It doesn't, you know, erase what happened, but she's uh, she wasn't full of sorrow and she wasn't just surviving. She was living. And so kind of a light yeah. bulb went off in my head wow. that, um, that I can do this, that there is hope for me. And that was a, just a defining turning point for me. Um, mm. So from there forward, I just began to turn my heart back to the Lord and, and be open even to the idea of getting better. And that's such a powerful um place to start where everybody needs to start when when something really hard hits you you need to get honest with yourself and figure out do you believe you can get better you know do you want to get better and do you believe that you can because if you don't believe you can you won't and so many people just kind of um they don't take stock of their beliefs they don't sit down and reflect and review and analyze what they're believing about a situation. And so people can stay unknowingly stuck mm-hmm. for years or even a lifetime because they never sat down and realized that they aren't believing they're going to get better from this and that that is the actual thing holding them back. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, so many of us, we inherit our beliefs from yeah, our family yeah, yeah, yeah. or our communities or society or, God forbid, mm-hmm. social media, you know, so, yes. so many, we just pick things up along the way and we don't know if those are helping us or hurting us. And especially when it comes to grief, you know, grief is kind of such a taboo thing and everyone is freaked out by it and people don't want to, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. People don't want to face their own mortality. And so there's not a lot of leadership in this area. There's not a lot of coaches or pioneers or people showing you how to do it well. I was just thinking about that earlier today, that it's so funny mm-hmm. that we have coaches in almost every other area of life, mm-hmm. there are business coaches and fitness coaches and marriage coaches and parenting mm-hmm. coaches. But where are the grief coaches? You know, where mm-hmm. are the folks? that show us how to grieve well, you know, yeah. it's a part of life. Everyone's going to go through it. You know, um, if you live to be any significant age, you're going to experience losing someone you love. And yeah. um, that's not anything. It's hard, but it's not anything to be afraid of or dread. It's part of life. And if you can learn how to do it well, it actually it's part of the seasoning of life. You know, the sweeter moment mm-hmm. is more sweet when you've experienced hardship. And yeah. we should 
we shouldn't run from the hardship. We shouldn't dread it. We shouldn't, you know, um, we should embrace it as awkward as that sounds. We should um, face it and embrace it. And if we do that, we're going to get a lot of gifts on the other side of it. So um, that's my mission and message is to help people not be afraid of it and learn how to embrace it and how to find the hidden treasures buried within it and come out the other side, a better version of themselves. Yeah. Uh, that's what and I help love. people. Yeah, yeah. And help people like that, the gal from Rwanda and now what you're doing, you're, yeah. you're better people from it. And it is giving your life a different purpose and meaning than it had before. And it's just like helping, 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 like paying, keep everyone is helping the next person. And so, because like you said, they're not, I don't know if I've ever met a grief counselor. <laughs> right, right. And, and 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 I know I've met a lot of people. And like you said, it's just not something that if people are doing it, you don't know it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The other part of the story and the other reason, you know, people kind of grief again is the one thing that we don't want to prepare for. We were so mm-hmm. reactionary. You know, we just mm-hmm. wait until someone we love dies and then we deal with it. Well, the problem with that is you're in shock. You know, when someone very close to you dies, you go through a physical, emotional trauma, kind of like having major surgery or being in a major car accident. Your system goes all willy nilly, you know, and you're Mm -hmm. not thinking in your right mind. You don't have all your faculties with you. So that is not the time to try to learn this new skill set that is grieving. You know, there actually are there are, we grieve things all the time from, you know, personal disappointments, or maybe you lost a pet, or maybe a friend moved away, you know, there's grief in various forms and sizes. And so the way that I work with people and the skill set that I try to teach them is to build up those muscles, you know, uh, you can, you can get familiar with this system and process and build up those muscles so that when extreme adversity or a big loss happens in your life, you're not so unprepared, which is half the battle. Part of the problematic Mm -hmm. thing is that it's so disorienting. You feel Mm -hmm. so blindsided and so shocked and so, you know, not prepared. And so that's half the battle. If you can think about some of these things and start practicing with smaller areas of adversity or disappointment in your life, then when the big one comes, you feel more prepared. You know, it's just like weightlifting. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't go in and try to lift 300 pounds, but you'd lift smaller weights and that would better prepare you to lift 300 pounds. So that's what I'm trying to be an advocate of is that we, the 300 pound thing is most likely going to happen at some point in your life. So you might as well start practicing Mm -hmm. lifting the smaller weights now so that you can be prepared. Um, And in my case, in my story, you know, I went through this incredible thing with my mom and it was very difficult. And I started to begin to learn the skill set of how to recover after such a significant loss. And uh, a year and a half later, I ended up losing my son to an accidental drug overdose. Um, so another complete blindside, another complete, you know, um, shock to your system. And, you know, I don't know of any other losing a parent and losing a child. I think that's pretty, I guess losing a spouse would be in that category too, but those are you know, the closest relationships you have to you. So to lose, um, I used to say like, that's my whole heart, you know, my mom and my, and my kids, like that's my whole heart. So, um, 
again, the, the thing that still impresses me to this day is the physical, uh, the physicality of it. When we found out my son passed away, we actually found out through social media. It's horrible. It's just horrible. Uh, the young man that was with him the night that he accidentally overdosed um, and the next morning, the police came and it was a whole situation. And, and the young man that was with him confided in a couple of friends what had happened. And one of the, those friends posted a picture of my son and said, rest in peace, gone too soon. Wow. So the first, wow. um, and he was in Minnesota. I had recently moved down to Florida. So I got a call from his best friend asking if I had heard from him that day and, you know, that he had never made it home the night before. And, um, and my son had struggled with drug use, um, for six or seven years. So him not making it home wasn't necessarily a new thing. You know, we had been through the ringer with him in terms of addiction and boundaries and everything. And so it wasn't incredibly alarming that he didn't make it home, but as the fact that his friend was calling me, you know, and they hadn't been able to find him, they said, well, you know, why, what's going on? And so he shared about the social media post and sent it to me. And I can't tell you wow. um, when I saw his picture in those words, the air just instantly left my lung. And it felt like, I mean, I've never been stabbed in the heart with a knife, but I imagine that's what it feels like. Just an incredibly wow. sharp pain in my heart. And um, I called my sister and I couldn't, I couldn't get words out. I don't remember how long I just was, you know, hyperventilating mm -hmm. and, and gasping. And I eventually got the words out and uh, we spent two and a half hours um, desperately waiting for some kind of confirmation. Uh, mm -hmm. We called, we filed a missing persons report. We caught, you know, I called hospitals and police departments and everyone back in Minnesota and nobody had any record of it. So of him, you know, being in a hospital or anywhere. And so for a very brief moment, we thought it was all just some huge misunderstanding or miscommunication or the worst prank anyone had ever Ooh. played um, yeah. until the police finally um, got, went to his dad's house in Minnesota and confirmed that um, they, they had picked him up that morning and he had passed away from an overdose. Um, wow. So the same, you know, the same, uh, the same shock, the same disbelief, the same, you know, um, same stuff hit me. But this time it was so much different. I had learned from dealing with my mom, uh, the things that were not fruitful, you know, the things that would keep me stuck, like asking why, <laughs> you know, I find that why is not a helpful question. Again, you're brain screams why your logic your reasoning mind wants to know why you need to have like one plus one equals two you know like you want to close the loop you need to have why but in my experience um you may or may not on this side of heaven ever get an answer to the why and to chase the why and to let that be your goal is not a fruitful um use mm. of time Mm -hmm. Well, that's part of what I learned with my mom was that making my goal, um, reclaiming and regaining peace and joy in my life so that I could live a fulfilled and healthy life was my goal. And also my goal was to not let his death be in vain and to do something meaningful, um, to not let his 
legacy be just another casualty of the opioid epidemic. But I you know, decided very early on that I wanted people to hear his story and that the loss of his life would result in the saving of other people's lives. Yes. And yes. I mean, deciding those things, I'm talking about in days, within days of when he passed away, I actually specifically asked for the number 300,000, that 300,000 lives would be impacted. You know, they would hear about his story, story and it would either prevent them from going down the road of drug addiction or give them encouragement or support to find and keep recovery and sobriety, um, whatever the case might be, but that 300,000 people's lives would be impacted for the good because wow. of his, um, life and story. And that has made all the difference. Um, I can't, it's just night and day, night yeah. and day, the experience of grieving and mourning my mom versus grieving and mourning my son. It was uh, supernatural, really, the, wow. yeah. the accelerated process and how quick I was able to get back to life and not just going through the motions life, but yeah. laughter and yeah. acknowledging and appreciating the good things around me and seeing color. You know, I wasn't just living in black and white, but that doesn't, I do want to say though, that does not, you know, it does mm. not negate or minimize or make it go away. No matter how yeah. you slice it, when you lose someone you love, it's going to hurt, you know, yeah. and it's going to yeah. hurt for a long time. It's still yeah. hurt at different yeah. times and different seasons. But the point is I've learned how to not let it take me out of the game. I've learned how to not let it, uh, overwhelm me or paralyze me it can come and it can go but the point is for the most part I'm in control of it and even on the mm -hmm. days where and I do have days where it's just a heavy day or a sad day and sometimes I'll just let that be the day that's part mm -hmm. of the process of it is becoming very self-aware mm -hmm. very um, aware about what my body and my soul needs from mm -hmm. day to day week to week and some days I need to have a sad day and I yeah. give myself permission to do that, but it's mm -hmm. a sad day. And then the next day I get up and I go on living and doing productive things. I think we, sh you know, there's kind of two extremes. You can either submit and wallow in the sadness and let that just become a cloud that, you know, covers everything. But the other extreme is to just deny and distract and try to pretend like something, you know, you just keep yourself so busy you keep yourself so occupied. You don't allow yourself to think about it or feel it. Mm -hmm. And that's not healthy either because mm -hmm. yeah. grief is going to come out. It's a, it's yeah. something you have to process through. And if you don't, if you don't lean into it, if you don't give it room for expression, if you try to mask or medicate it with shopping or drugs or sex or pick any poison, you know, people do it all the time with any variety of struggles, you know, but um, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about facing it, leaning into it and pulling every single thing, every ounce of goodness out of it that you can and moving on with your life in a way that honors, recognizes and honors that which you've lost. Yeah. You know, things yeah. will never be the same, but they can be better if you'll mm. let them. And mm -hmm. that sounds almost sacrilegious to say it's mm. so hard for us to think about this person that I love so much that was such a huge part of my life and how can I how could something be better without them yeah. um, and that again is that's 
that's part of the belief system. What do you believe about this? What do you believe is possible? What has society and your friends and family told you you should feel, you know? Limiting, limiting beliefs. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Especially for parents who've lost children. I mean, most everybody loses their parent at some point. That's kind of the natural order of things. But if you're a parent who loses a child, that's very unnatural. And I had so many people, well-meaning people, but tell me that I'll just never get over this. You know, Mm. I'll never Mm. be okay again. I had actually somebody in church tell me she had lost a child at this point. I think it was like 23 years or something, an older lady. And she said, it's just as fresh today as it was the day it happened, you know, and it'll, and and I understand from, she was trying to be comforting to me. She was trying to (laughs) somehow let me know that she could understand my pain. But even without her realizing it, she was giving me a limiting belief. She was telling me that it was always Mm going to hurt this much. Um, And so that's part of what I try to help people, coach people with is, to get really um, vigilant and diligent about what you're exposed to, the people that you allow to speak into your life, and really importantly, what you choose to come into agreement with and what you let out of your mouth. Because those things will direct your course in all areas of life, but especially when it comes to emotional processes and grieving and hardship, what you believe about it who you let influence you and speak into your life and then what you come into agreement with and then again, speak out your mouth is going to be your reality. It's as simple as that. And so I really try to help people to even become aware of that in the first place and then sit down and be intentional to design for themselves the support and the beliefs that are going to help them move on and reclaim peace and joy and happiness and everything that the person who passed away would want them to have. Yes. They're going to yes. sit down and literally architect and design their mm. program for them. And then they're going to mm-hmm. protect it. They're going to not mm. allow well-meaning friends or, you know, random coworkers or whatever say things or have influence over them that would contradict or disrupt yeah. this framework that they've established. They're going to be very intentional and protective of it. And then I help them to recognize and find community that's going to support them in that, that that are going to be in agreement with what they're trying to do and be their encourager and cheerleader and accountability partner uh, to make sure that they don't let themselves get stuck, that they keep moving forward. And then the last thing I help people to do is to uh, find a purpose for your pain because Mm. nothing happens just to happen. And I firmly believe yeah all things good things and bad things are not meant for us to just keep to ourselves it's meant for us Mm -hmm. and to be a blessing to other people so when you're Mm -hmm. when you have something amazing happen to you that is true but also when something awful happens to you if you'll let it it's actually meant to make you a better person and also your experience now uniquely positions you to be able to be a blessing to people that you wouldn't have been had you not gone through it Amen. Yeah, well, people kind of unpack that and take a look at, you know, because XYZ awful thing happened to me. How now does this position me to, you know, on a very basic level, you're going to have empathy for people you didn't weren't. Or if you're a parent who's lost a child and you meet another parent who's lost a child, you're going to instantly 
have empathy for them. You're going to be able to relate to them and speak to them in a way nobody else can. It's an insider's club that nobody really wants to be a part of. But those of us that are in it, you know, we have a connection with people instantly because we share that heartache and people bond in pain. There's a lot of, um, you know, relationship that comes out of that. And so that's just one example, but, you know, really helping people to take a look at it and, and find the ways that they're better because of it. You know, maybe you have a better appreciation for life because you lost someone close to you. Maybe you now appreciate the people, the family members you do have left, and maybe you're more intentional to spend meaningful time with them. You know, maybe you go on that trip that you've been putting off for 10 years because you realize that tomorrow's not guaranteed. There's so many things that can come out of it. And if you allow yourself to get blinded by the grief, you're going to miss out on all those things. And so my job is really to help people unpack that stuff and find those things and remember them and celebrate them and write them down and let those be the things that guide your experience and guide your process and move you to a place, you know, better than you were before. Wow. Yeah. Well, share about how people can connect with you um, for the coaching that you offer. Where can they yeah. reach you? Yeah. The, well, the best way and the the free gift that we offer folks when they when they hear about us through podcasts and platforms like this is if they go to uh, www.unstucklife.org, they actually can get a free download of these five steps that I've talked about. So there's a great um, visual graphic for them to see, and then an outline overview of what a little bit more detail than what I've shared here today about the five step process and how that can help them. Um, deal with really any level of adversity, but really grief and trauma. So unstucklife.org is the best place for them um, to find that information. And then I've also started a nonprofit organization in honor of my son, and it's called Q's Army. My son's name was mm-hmm. Quentin, and we mm-hmm. call them Q for short. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can go to Q'sArmy.com to find out more information about what we're doing there and get linked up with our Facebook page. And Q's Army is really dedicated to um, educating people about the opioid epidemic and providing resources and support for families who've been affected by it. You know, the opioid epidemic is massive in scale. 130 people die each and every day. Um, It's, it's killed more people than, you know, 9-11, 20 times over. And we went to war over that. So there's just, wow. And there's current legislation going on that, uh, so I'm passionate at Q's Army about advocacy and and demanding change from our government and from the medical (laughs) community who are responsible, 100% responsible for this opioid epidemic, and then educating people about uh, the truth about some of those details and how they can have a voice in making change. For example, did you know that actually the FDA is still to this day approving and releasing new opioids on the market, even as we speak? Wow. Yeah. That's something I just found out in the last month or two. And this is, you know, what I'm pursuing full time. So people need to know that they need to know the truth about, you know, why it started, who caused it, who's responsible and, and why we're having such a hard time stopping it. Another thing I recently discovered, which shocked me is that uh, the FDA is largely funded by the pharmaceutical companies. Oh, wow. It For actually, sure. With every prescription that's filled, a certain amount of that prescription goes to the FDA. 
So how can a governmental organization possibly be fair and unbiased when their funding is coming from the prescriptions of the drugs they're approving? You you know, wow. It's yeah. It's appalling to me that that that's going on in our country and that people don't know about it. So that's part of what I really am wanting to do at Q's Army is get the truth out there, let people know the truth and and invite you all to, you know, let your voice be heard, um, weigh in on legislation, Mm -hmm. be a part of the solution because it is um, an epidemic, you know, is an understatement. It's taking um, thousands and thousands of lives and a lot of parents, you know, it's the number one um, cause of death for, for kids, um, 16 to 25. So wow, it's leaving a lot of parents without wow. what, what work you have to do. And, you know, like you said, those 300,000, I mean, you'll never get to meet all the people, but can, it's just like, it gives me chills to think about that this work that you're doing is so massively important. And to people who their kids right now are little, and except for you doing this work, their kids could be headed in that direction. Like it's, it's yeah. huge. It's generational. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. I mean, I didn't ask for it, you know, and I mm-hmm. it, honestly have given the choice. I probably, I wouldn't have chose it, you know, if God would yeah, have shown me yeah. this is what's going to happen. And this is the work that you're going to do because of it. I would have said, thanks, but no, thanks, you know, no but thanks. But this yeah. is the situation I find myself in. And it's the, for me, it's the energy and motivation to keep going. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, I made a promise to Quentin and that his, he will not just be another number. You know, I won't let yeah. him be just another statistic that was lost in the opioid epidemic. I want, my goal is to make his life as fruitful as possible. You know, it was short, mm-hmm. but I want mm-hmm. um, the story of his life to bear much fruit. And so... Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine Aww. doing anything else. And that's, that's the yeah. example that like, it's awful, awful tragedy, but my life is completely different and it's completely yeah. amazing in so many ways. Yeah. I've been able to meet so many people I wouldn't have met and impact so, already. We're just a year out and easily hundreds, if not thousands of people um, have been impacted already by his story. And it's so heartwarming to know the difference that's already been made. So mm, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I just think about the Rwanda lady ministering to you in your life. And now that's what you're doing. And it's just, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. So thank you so much for sharing your story and for the work that you are tireless about. And, you know, you will not be stopped. You will, <laughs> you were going to, you're an army and Q's army. And yes. And we're recruiting members. So I would love, I would love to have you all join. Yes. Yeah. All right. So tell us one or two of your, what are one or two things right now that you are enjoying or passionate about? Um, I think you have a necklace. Yes. Maybe? Yes. Yeah. We do. So um, my son, we had Quentin cremated. Actually, my mom was cremated as well. And that was one of the things that I just feel like, again, is kind of awkward. There's not a lot of great products for (laughs) what do you do with ashes? And I didn't want some big urn sitting in my living room, you know, so I just wanted to think about ways to keep him close to me. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so we designed and created a little 
It's a very simple um, gold or silver bar um, necklace that you can wear actually just as it is or one end unscrews. And so if you did lose a loved one, it can serve as a little urn. So you can have the ashes of your loved one um, near and dear to you and proceeds from that necklace go to Q's Army. So that's one thing I'm very excited about. I also am getting yeah. ready um, to release the video course for um, advancing wow. through adversity. So we have kind of a longer video course with some worksheets and things. And what I love about the video course is you can do it when you want, as many times as you want or need. So if you're up at three o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday night, you know, you can yeah. watch these videos and, and find support and find help. Um, and if you need to do step one 27 times until it sticks, like you can do that. So yeah. um, that's going to be coming out in the next month or so. Very thrilled about that. And and we're also preparing for our first annual, um, the National Drug Overdose Awareness Day is August 31st. And so we're going to be holding an event here in Southwest Florida, where I'm located, for people to just come and honor and remember people that they've lost. And we're also just educating the community about some of the legislation that's going on. So that's coming wow. up here in a couple of weeks. Wow. Well, yeah, if you're in that area, um, this episode will be out before then. So if you're hearing this before then and you're in the area, go meet Kelly. Yeah. yeah. And hug her neck. Yeah. <laughs> Aw. Well, this has been so sweet. I love hearing your story and I am excited that I get to be just a tiny, tiny little part of it. And um, yeah, thank you for being on and just for what you're doing. It's so important. So thank you. Complete pleasure. And thank you for what you're doing because it's it's people like you that make room and space and facilitate folks like me to come on and share. So appreciate you so much. Love all the work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you. All right, friends. Thank you again for joining us today. And be sure to check out Kelly at her um, two websites, unstucklife.org and cuesarmy.com. Calm. Yes. All right. Thank you, Kelly. All righty.